It was just a little, just a few days ago, maybe a couple weeks ago. It was a normal office day, uh, like any other day in the office. And then all of a sudden, at the same time, Brian and I saw it. A vicious monster creeped out from behind the plant in the lobby. And there in front of us was a vicious serpent. And of course, Brian took off to try to find something to defend himself with or some place to hide. And without even thinking, I rushed over to the snake and just kept stomping. At one point, I think Brian almost got Pentecostal on us. And he's like, get it, stomp the devil's head. Yeah, you just, it was a whole big scene and uh, a mess as well. Um, the, the truth is, is uh, yes, Brian did run because he did admit from here that he is deathly afraid of snakes. We don't like the nope rope. And, uh, you know, I, I did stomp him, but I, I saved his life. I did what, you know, <laughs> it was only 12, 13 inches long, and it was not venomous at all. But uh, it, was, it was still fun. But before all those shenanigans uh, with me and Brian, before apparently I became Brian's muse for being the sole purpose of illustrations and stories, because my life seems to provide him with endless amounts of, of uh, material. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, but before all that, before I even came here to Lakeside as a worship arts pastor, there was a, a, a brief moment. I say brief because looking back at it now, it, it seemed brief. But in the time, it seemed like it went on forever. A time where I was growing very impatient. A time where I was getting very discouraged. You see, from the age of four, I believe it was, my parents got me on stage singing, Jesus loves me, and I don't remember it, but that's what happened, apparently. And so my entire life, I've always been involved with some kind of uh, music and ministry combined together in some capacity. And in 2019, I was, I was doing that part-time, and I just very strongly, and it was almost overwhelming to where it like almost affected me like physically and emotionally. And I felt so strongly that he was like, hey, I'm, I'm moving you away from where you're at. It's felt like forever. You know I've called you to this, but it's time. And it just like, you know, I felt like getting teary-eyed, and I was like, awesome. So I was super excited. And I was like, wait a minute. I don't know where to start. Do I go on Indeed or... What? How do I go about doing this? This is not like a normal job. And so I got connected with uh, some friends of mine that hooked me up with this company that connects ministers and, and churches. And I got in, set up with a contact at that company. And days turned into weeks. Weeks turned into months. And after so much time, I got this email from him. He's like, hey, that position's been filled. I'm so sorry. And I emailed him back. I said, Dave, I said, if there's anything, just, just let me know. If there's anything, just let me know. And, uh, you know, I was, I was discouraged during this time. I'm like, I, I don't understand. And, uh, but I was also taking time to learn from friends of mine 
who were already had been in full-time ministry as, as worship pastors. And so I was, I was taking this time to kind of grow and get ready for whenever this would happen, which it didn't seem like it would happen because I was starting to doubt. And, but I sent him that email saying, hey, if there's anything, just let me know. And I meant it. Five minutes later, he said, hey, I know this, I found something. This may not be able to be the most ideal location. And because, you know, I'm from Texas and what he was about to say. <laughs> Honestly, I mean, because I, I, I told him, he said, there's a church in Wisconsin that's looking for a full-time worship arts pastor. I said, great. I said, look, I have never nor will I start putting God in a box. Like, I will follow him to Africa. It's a joke. I, I, I have no desire to maybe Cape Town for, for a vacation, but I have no desire to, to go to Africa. Um, but I told him, I said, look, I, I don't put God in a box. Send my stuff to him. And here we are. I mean, it's been, I've been here almost two years, and it's been, it's been amazing. And when I say shenanigans with me and Brian, there's too many shenanigans. <laughs> we, have, we have a good time. We make a, we make a good team. We get along. So, but that period of waiting that I had to, to wait and I had to prepare and I had to be patient and trust this process, that's kind of what we're going to be talking about today. As we dive into, we continue with our series, The Beginning, and we're going to be starting in verse 10 of chapter 7, going all the way through verse 19 of chapter 8. So if you are an OG and you have your paper Bibles, get it. Otherwise, if you have your tablets or your Bible or your um, smartphones, you can follow us along, follow along with us in the Bible app. We're going to start in verse 10, and it says this. And after seven days, the waters of the flood came upon the earth in the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month. On that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of the heavens were open. So we see here that it's not just rain that has covered the earth or that, that is destroying the earth or that's causing the flood. It's the rain from above and the waters from beneath all coming in and destroying the earth. And what it says to me is that God doesn't do things halfway. He's like, if I say I'm going to destroy it, I'm going to destroy it, destroy it. From top to bottom, cave in on itself. But what I really want us to focus on in this, these couple of verses uh, I want us to pay attention to what Moses wrote as far as when it started. Because he says that it started in the 600th year, on the second month, on the 17th day of the month. And the reason why that's important is because later on at the very end of the passages that we're reading, we're going to see how long it was that Noah and his family and animals were concealed on the ark. So let's skip a... So a few verses going into verse 16, and it says this. And it says, And those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. And here's, here's what's absolutely amazing to me about this verse, is that it says all flesh, men, animals, they were all uh, on the ark as God commanded them. But the majority of the animals that were on the ark were not domesticated animals. It wasn't like gather up all the puppies you can find, gather up all the, you know, the livestock. That yes, that would have been the easy part. And but 
Also, Noah didn't have time to go away from his responsibilities of building the ark to go and try to round up all of these wild animals like cattle and put them in their respective place on the ark. God called these animals to go to the ark. God shut the door behind them and God sealed them in. And so what we see is that even though God called Noah to this extraordinary task that may have seemed impossible when he first started, we see God's hand and his provision with him every single step of the way. And the safety and the security for the life that was being saved aboard the ark, it couldn't be credited to man. It couldn't be credited to just Noah or by something that Noah did. Nor did Noah decide when the door was to be shut. None of this went off of his timing. No, the safety and the security and the timing and the door being shut, it was all God's prerogative. And it all went according to his timing and his purpose. So I want to ask you something. When was the last time that you prayed for something or you prayed for someone and you prayed the prayer, above all else, Lord, let your will be done in this situation? When was the last time that we actually prayed like that? And when we pray to God, do we pray to him like he works for us or do we pray to him as the heavenly father that he is? And I just want to remind you that even though it's easy to get impatient while we're waiting, just remember that God hasn't forgotten about you. God hasn't all of a sudden gone gone deaf, but he also doesn't bend his will for our convenience. And that's something that we have to understand. Let's continue reading in verse 17 through 20. It says, The flood continued for 40 days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. And the waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits Deep. Now, remember last Sunday, Brian told us that a cubit is roughly 18 inches. So, math-wise, uh, 45 feet. That's how high the water was above the tops of the mountains. And part of me asks, why? Because I doubt there were people on top of these mountains. I doubt there were goats hanging out. Like, basically, you know, God does things all in or nothing. You know, he's, he's not halfway about it. So let's keep reading, verse 21 to 23. And all flesh died that moved on the earth, birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarmed the earth, and all mankind. Everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. I have a confession. I hate, hate, with a passion, hate, loathe some of the uh, swarming things. And I wonder, why did some of the swarming things survive? Why do we have some of the swarming things that we do have? Like, I get that, that bees are, are essential. Uh, my wife hates them because they, she thinks that they have, like, a vendetta against her. But, uh, you know, I get the purpose I get the purpose of flies even. But mosquitoes? <laughs> Why? 
I don't see the purpose except for annoyance. And honestly, it very well could have been that during creation that God was like, hey, here's something fun. Satan, you can create one thing. And he's like, mosquitoes. <laughs> That's, yeah. I mean, up here in the Midwest, the mosquitoes aren't as bad. They're still bad, but they're not as bad as I've had experiences with them in Texas. I mean, there's been an amber alert go off one time because a mosquito swooped down in somebody's backyard and took off with a kid. They're just, that didn't happen. <laughs> they're bad, though. I'm wondering why do we have mosquitoes. But let's, get, let's keep reading. Uh, 24 through going into chapter 8. And it says, And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days, but God remembered Noah. I love that. But God remembered Noah. He didn't forget him. And all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark, and God made a wind blow over the earth, and the waters subsided, and the fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed. The rain from the heavens was restrained, and the waters receded from the earth continually. At the end of 150 days, the waters had abated, and in the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. And the waters continued to abate until the 10th month, and in the 10th month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the waters, or the tops of the mountains were seen. So for the tops of the mountains to even be seen, that they were on the ark for seven and a half months before they could even see something besides endless amounts of water. I mean, that must have sparked some hope right there, right? But this whole time, there was a process of closing off the rain, closing off the fountains of the deep, making a wind to blow over the earth, the flood of waters decreasing little by little. And God could have, he didn't, but God could have snapped his finger and made everything perfect. He could have made everything go dry and said, okay, it's done, get off the ark. Because I'm pretty sure by this time, all the life was destroyed. But he didn't. And we have to learn that in an instant gratification type world that we live in, we don't serve an instant gratification God. We serve the creator of the universe, but we don't serve a genie. And all that being said, because we have to learn to trust the process. And we have to learn to find joy in the process. You know, we, we constantly practice patience. And when we're patient, when we're waiting on God in the process, that patience will produce faith. And honestly, it takes some hard dedication to be patient while waiting on God. Because he's not going to say, hey, here's the big picture. Here's the timeline. This is where I'm going to do this. And this is where I'm going to do this. Like, we don't get to see the, all of those details. That's why we have faith. But we have all this, and we have to trust the process and trust that what God is doing, He's doing it for our good. And the reason why I say it takes dedication, like with Noah, it, it doesn't detail this in Genesis, but what I, I think more than likely happened is that somewhere along the way, the ark might have sprung a, a small leak. Not Nothing major, nothing to sink the ark, but... You know, there might have been a small leak and he would have to get some pitch out, some of the tar substance, and patch up the hole. That, that's very possible it could have happened. All of those animals that were in there, what do the animals do a lot of? They eat. And once they eat, what happens to the food that they eat? 
Well, it turns into waste. And so they had to be fed. The waste had to be cleaned up out of their pens. All of this routine, day in, day out, it went on and on and on, and it was monotonous. And it probably got very old, but I guarantee you that Noah was still faithful, even with the smallest of tasks. He was commissioned by God, and what we know him for and what he's famous for is the ark. I mean, most of the time we can't say Noah and the ark without it being in the same sentence. That's what he's famous for. But he had tons of responsibilities and small tasks that he had to be faithful with while he was on the ark waiting to exit onto dry ground. And so while we wait on our answers from God, while, we were in those, while we're in those seasons of waiting, are we still faithful with what God has entrusted to us? Are we still faithful with the little things? Let's keep reading verse 6. At the end of 40 days, Noah opened the window of the ark that he had made and sent forth a raven and went out to and fro until the waters were dried up from the earth. Then he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters had subsided from the face of the ground. But the dove found no place to set her foot. And she returned to him to the ark, for the waters were still on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her and brought her into the ark with him. That must be very discouraging. Like the the boat stops floating. It's resting on the mountains. You can see that the water level is decreasing. You can see the tops of the mountains. And you're somewhat hopeful. You're tired and exhausted. And he sends out the birds And nothing. Nothing comes back. I imagine that had to be very discouraging. He has to deal with all of these random animal sounds and these random lovely animal smells. I'm sure over time they got pretty quick, you know, got used to it pretty quick. But I'm sure by the 12th hour on the first day that they went to the ark, Noah was like, I'm ready to get off now. So up to this point, I mean, it's been almost a year that he's been on the ark. And he's hoping that there will be some kind of evidence brought back and nothing. But we're going to see a flicker of hope here in these next few verses. And it says this in Genesis 8, 10 through 12. He waited another seven days, and again he sent forth the dove out of the ark. And the dove came back to him in the evening, and behold, in her mouth was a freshly plucked olive leaf. So Noah knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. Then he waited another seven days and sent forth the dove, and she did not return anymore. So as far as the dove not returning anymore, all I can say is, duh. The dove was like, I'm out of here. I found an entire tree. I'm done being cooped up with you. I'm, I'm gone. But that one little olive leaf, I'm sure, sparked a lot of hope and created a lot of inspiration. There are two sports that I like to play. Uh, I say play. You don't really play them. You just do them. Um, One thing in common is that I'm not really good at either of them. And the other thing is one little flicker of luck, and I feel great, and I keep coming back for more. And that's golf and fishing. Now, fishing, I don't think it's my fault. I I think it's because I lack the fancy boats and the equipment to see where all the fish are. 
So, but, you know, I could be fishing for two to three hours and get nothing, and all of a sudden, I feel it. I set the hook. A massive bass is on the line. I look at it with pride, put it back in the water, and I'll fish for two to three more hours without catching anything, and I'll keep coming back for more because of that one catch. And it's the same with golf, except it's a little bit more dangerous. When I'm playing golf, I try to, you know, tee off and make it go straight, and it goes this way, or it goes this way. Or I raise up and the ball goes whoop and then comes back down. That's embarrassing. Uh, the worst one is when it goes to a completely different course and there's people dodging and it hits their golf cart and I should be yelling for this entire time and all I can do is go, ah, and point to somebody else. <laughs> it was them. And what I'll do is I'll simply just get in my pocket, take out a new golf ball, it was here the whole time. So, but every now and then, I'll line up on a shot, and it's like the planets line up with me, and I will knock it into oblivion right down the fairway, just straight. It goes long. And then I play horribly all after that and all before it. But it's that one good shot that makes me feel so good about the entire day that I want to keep playing golf. And some of you that play golf that are good... You're like, you are an idiot. I would never play golf with you or near you. It, it's dangerous. It really is. I, I wouldn't blame you. But it's that one flicker of hope. That olive leaf must have been very inspiring. to Because it's like, hey, we're getting there. We're closer. We're getting there. So look at the little, let's look at the last few verses, starting in 13. In the 600th and first year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried from off the earth. And Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. In the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth had dried out. Then God said to Noah, go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that, was, that is with you of all flesh, birds, animals, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him, every beast, every creeping thing, and every bird, everything that moves on the earth, went out by families from the ark. So remember at the beginning when we started reading that it said it was the 600th year, second month, 17th day. And here we are, 601st year, second month, 27th day. They were concealed on the ark for a year and 10 days. That is a long, long time. I mean, as a kid, being in Sunday school, we used to sing the songs about Noah building the ark, and, and there was a lot of emphasis on the 40 days and 40 nights with the rain and stuff. And as a child, I thought, yeah, 40 days on the ark, off. No big deal. No, he was on there over a year, stuck on the ark, waiting to get off on the dry ground. Have you ever seen those movies or, or the cartoons where the, the character is on like a plane ride for a long time or they're, they're stuck on a boat for a long time and they finally get off on the dry ground and they like kiss the ground? I imagine that that same feeling, I'm pretty sure that 
Noah and his family and the animals, they were all feeling that when they got off. But here's the thing. Noah never left the ark on his own. And Noah could see somewhat that the waters were, were decreasing, they were fading away, but he still had to play the waiting game. And Noah only left the ark when God told him to leave. So many times we try to make stuff happen for ourselves, and sometimes we get impatient and we try to rush the process. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. Like, we live in this world where it's like, I want what I want when I want, and not a second later. Like, we live in a now kind of world. But I want you to also notice something, is that the ark, with the animals and Noah and his family and all the life that was on board, the ark was a life preserver, and it was never a punishment. The punishment was happening on earth, outside of the ark. But the ark itself, even though they were inside for over a year, that was a life preserver and not a punishment. So even though you may be in a season of waiting, it's not a season of punishment. The season of waiting is a time for us to be patient. It's a time for us to prepare. It's a time for us to grow. It's a time for us to get ready for what's about to happen next. And, and here's where we're going with this, is that God calls us into different, those, those different seasons and the, the seasons of waiting. I mean, what would have happened if after the initial first 40 days of it raining, once it stopped, if Noah decided, hey, it stopped raining, I'm getting off the ark, he would have drowned because I'm pretty sure he didn't know how to swim. So just dead. So he waited until God commanded him to leave. Also, sometimes when we're in, different, in, in the seasons where we have to wait on an answer from God, when we're getting discouraged, one thing I want to warn you against is do not compare where you're at with where somebody else is at in their life. Don't look at somebody else's highlight reel and try to compare your life with where maybe what their highlight is. It's like this. My, my daughter, my youngest daughter, Leah, she'll be two in May. My wife, Tara, is in her 30s. Now, Leah, she loves to, to she can't really sing along because she doesn't like say a whole lot of words. Uh, her favorite word is dada, of course. Uh, but she, she will hum along. And what is impressive to me is that when she hums, she will hum on pitch. And as a musician and a singer, I'm like, yes, you know, super excited. But it would be absolutely ridiculous for me to expect Leah to be able to sing with the same power and finesse as Tara. And those of you who have heard her sing, you know what I'm talking about. Like, it would be crazy for me to think that a baby should be able to have the same capabilities as someone in their 30s that has been training for decades and practicing and practicing. It's the same with us. We can't compare where we're at with where somebody else is at. Now, Leah has the capability of having an amazing voice and far surpassing her, that of her mother. But I can't compare the two because they're not the same. And they're in different seasons. It's like if you have an empty field and you just planted some brand new seed and you have another field that is ripe 
and ready for harvest, would you compare the two and say that they are the same? Or get angry because that one's ready and this one's not, even though you just planted it? No. You can't compare the two because they're not the same. And so what happens when we do that, when we begin to compare ourselves where we're at, where somebody else is at, is we start to, to blame. We're going to start to judge people. And hatred begins to set in. So we can't compare ourselves. We have to be careful not to do that and to take what we have and to wait on God and be faithful and be patient. So what do we do now with all this? Just because you're in a season of waiting right now, it doesn't mean, like remember, the ark was a life preserver. The ark was not a punishment. So just because you're in a season of waiting doesn't mean that God is punishing you. It doesn't mean that God has forgotten about you. It doesn't mean that God has just tuned you out and stopped listening to you. But he's put you in this place to equip you, to prepare you, and to shape you for what's about to happen next. And the question is this, will you be patient and find joy in the waiting? Will you find joy and strength in the process? I mean, you've been praying the same prayer over and over and over, and it doesn't seem like you're really getting anywhere. Will you still be faithful while you wait? Will you still be faithful while you wait? Waiting can be hard. Waiting can be discouraging. It's, it's normal. It's not easy being patient. But it doesn't have to be. Just take it one day at a time. Take heart and find joy and strength in God. So, Father, this morning, I ask that you would speak to our minds and our hearts this morning. We put all distractions aside. We focus on what you have to say to us this morning. And if there, there are those here that are struggling and that have just seemed to be waiting for what seems like an eternity, I just ask that you would encourage them, God. I ask that you would just encourage them and lift their spirits. And I ask that you would just ignite a fire inside of them and that you would inspire them, God. And I pray, Lord, that your will would be done in their lives and that you would show them and give them a sign of hope to let them know that you haven't forgotten, that you haven't left them, that you're always here and that your love and your grace and your mercy is boundless and that it surrounds them. God, help us to be patient in the process that you're working out because we know that you're working everything for our good, God. I ask that you would just give us strength and joy. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.